0: While running away from the police, you and your friends find yourselves in a parallel universe, where your lives depend on playing games. Each game you play earns you a few more days to live, without the knowledge if you will ever return to the normality Are you still doing everything in your power to survive? To drop you right in, we are in a typical player's room environment. And in the center of that room, in the pitch darkness, in front of his computer, is Arisu. Who is technically our Alice, the Alice in Borderlands. So this is our main character. He's just playing this game, shooting at these players when his brother barges into the room, interrupting the game. And Ariso loses the game. He's just like so pissed off. Like, what are you doing in my room? Like, mm, this is a private territory. I'm playing here. This is a grown-ass job. And his brother is like, uh, speaking of jobs, actually, you know how our father set you up for an interview? Yeah, you missed that, didn't You, you didn't have that job interview. And Arisu is there like, oh my god, he's going to be so pissed. I better skidabble out of there. And he says, if only I could reset the reality. Thinking, of course, of going back in time and not missing that job interview. But here we also find out that Arisu's mom has actually died. So they're left just to live with their dad. And before the dad comes home, Arisu decides to get out of there. He can't deal with the argument that is obviously going to happen between him and his dad. So he jumps on his phone, starts messaging his friends, and heads out to meet his two best friends, Chota and Karube. These are Japanese names. I am very aware that I'm probably going to mispronounce all of them. So, sorry about that. It just didn't feel appropriate to give them Americanized versions that I can pronounce. So, stick with me and make sure you... Tell me in the comments how they were supposed to be pronounced. So, Arisa is on his way to meet up with his friends, and they're all, like, texting on their phones. We see their different screens. They are trying to meet each other in front of one of the busiest train stations in Japan, in front of Shibuya Station. So, each and every one of them is like, where are you, which exit, which street, exactly what corner, in front of which shop. And during this, just as they meet... They're looking around, and they see that there has been an accident. And they're kind of like, oh, did we cause this? Because we were just mingling around, running around, trying to find one another. And they see these police officers eyeing them out. So they're like, okay, Arisu, run. They leg it to the station toilet. So they go inside to the train station and find the toilet. And all three of them go inside of the same cubicle. In this cubicle, they're just joking around, and then all three of them check their phones and realize that their signal is out. And when they think about it, they actually haven't heard a single soul go into that toilet in a while, nor did they hear anybody really outside, and this is a busy station. So they decide to finally get out. And once they get out of the station, onto the street, it's completely empty the whole city seems to be deserted. Just to confirm that that is true, they spend about, like, 10 minutes of this first episode in the series just lurking around, just searching, like, is there a single soul? And you're like, come on, guys, start picking up on clothes. Clearly, there's not a single soul, whereas there was. I didn't write it this script, okay? May I add yet again? <laughs> that this is the part that if anybody out there thinks there is a deeper meaning to it, also let me know what the deeper meaning is. But they have just landed with some parallel universe where there's literally nobody. Until, well, they notice an arrow pointing to an entrance of one of the buildings, stating that a game is about to commence and that they should enter. And this is where it's about to get genius, all right? I got their knowledge. Did it make sense that they went inside of a cubicle and then they got out in a completely parallel universe and we are supposed to buy into this apocalyptic world? Why? Why did that happen? Does anybody understand? Maybe I just... maybe there's a language barrier, maybe there's a culture barrier that I just can't get over, but this is when it gets genius, because I just dropped you into the plot of Alice in Borderland. It is this Japanese series that is on Netflix, heavily neglected due to the Squid Game, and by the end of this episode, we are going to talk about this, because I think there are like two tribes, at least from what I see on TikTok, there are people that fully hardcore believe that Alice in Borderland is a lot better as a show compared to the Squid Game. I don't disagree in certain aspects. I just think that the lack of plot here in the beginning and lack of reasoning as to why they're suddenly running away from the police and they ended up in this universe where there's nobody left and they have to play games to survive doesn't really lead to the most epic character development. But the game's part? Genius. Brilliant, some of the best fucking things I have seen on television. Well, Netflix. So, let us dive into the first game. What's it gonna be? What's it gonna be? What they gonna do when they come for you? Red Bull kicked in. All three of them follow that main arrow and get into the building. And as they're just following the corridors, we realize that Arisu is actually very smart in terms of just the spatial awareness. He's noticing the emergency exits, he's noticing the plan, he's mapping it all out in his head. But he also sees the floor plan just stuck to one of the walls. We see him picking up on the things that other guys aren't, and that is going to prove him useful in the game to come. Eventually, they get to this door and they find some smartphones. The only smartphones where some sort of signal and connection seems to appear, so they use the facial recognition to open these phones, and they just keep waiting when they see this girl called Shibuke joining them. She's smartly dressed as if she just left work, so she's in a white shirt and just like a black skirt with the bag uncomfortably over her shoulder, and you kind of just get the vibe like, huh, Where did she come from if the whole city was empty? And as she gets closer to them, closer to that table with the smartphones, we see the laser. And she tells them, yeah, once you cross over this, there is no turning back. Because this laser is deadly. You try to cross it if you wish, but you're gonna end up dead. Just before their phones were to light up and reveal what game they're actually to play, there's another girl that joins them. And also, she just looks equally lost, and she looks younger than all of them. I'm sorry, I forgot her name. She's not really a, a lasting character in this. Yeah, spoil it all, No Tell them how the last episode Why won't you? But just already by how they're dressed, I thought this was genius having the squid game theories running through my head. Because one of the squid game theories is that there are multiple squid games playing all around the country. And this is the vibe that I got from episode one, from Alice in Borderland. That because all of these people didn't just pass by each other on the street. They're coming from different parts of town. And with the three boys, it's clear that this is their first game, just by how lost they are. But with the two girls, you kind of think like, okay, the one with the business attire and the bag over her shoulder, this isn't her first gig. She, is gonna, she must know something, or hopefully she knows how to pass this game. Finally, their phones light up and they see a card on their screen. So there's always a card that precedes the game, and in this case, they see a free of clubs. The game they're to play is live or die. There are two doors in this room. They need to make a choice within two minutes. For the first room, the choice is clear. Just live or die. There are no other instructions. It's simply open the door before the time runs out. Now, every single one of them is reacting differently under pressure. So, Arisu is just freaking out. He's, like, overthinking everything. Like, how do we make this choice? Like, of course, they're gonna want us to choose to live because it just seems logical. But then, what if the choice is to die? Like, there must be some other clue. There must be something else to it. Chota, meanwhile, his friend, is just... Taking his phone out and he is just recording everything just in case he needs to commemorate this event while she booked a business girl, he's saying, "Well, of course, the choice is to live so the young girl that we just met in front of the door is like, "Yeah, whatever the fuck, fuck it, let me just open the door before the time runs out, and as soon as she opens the leave the door, she gets lasered down and she drops dead. Now everybody's running towards the die room and just as they make it over the threshold, the first room goes up in flames in the next room, now knowing what happens when you open the wrong door, everybody is freaking out. And they also blame the businesswoman over here, because she seems to be an expert in this game and seems to be playing it by choosing the route of sacrificing other players. So, the model guy... Okay, that is how I named him in my head. What's his name? Karube? I'm gonna call him the model guy from now on, because he has potential. And he's the only really hot one there. And also because I don't want to mispronounce his name. So, he suggests, okay, now we're not going to listen to her anymore. Let us be fair and swap, so in each room, a different person is going to make a decision. So in this room, he finally makes a decision, goes through the right door, and now they are desperate. And Arisa seems to have given up, so the model guy starts actually throwing some punches at him, like, come on, Espaliba, wake the hell up. You are the first person to say that there is a solution to every game. And Darissa is there saying, this isn't a puzzle, this isn't a game, this is just pure luck. But then, it seems like he had remembered something. There's 10 seconds of that stopwatch that, by the way, is decreasing in every single room. So in this room, they have already like 1 minute 40 seconds compared to 2 minutes. And he says, the correct door is die, and he is going to open it. So once they get in, and it is the correct door, they're all looking at him like, "How the hell did you know? And he says, it's the BMW in front of the place, in front of the building we entered. He knows the exact dimensions of it. And then he compared those exact dimensions to the plan that he saw when they were passing by. That plan of the building. He seems to be this math genius who is like, okay, the length of this building is four of these cars, so that's 20 square meters. So he starts, like, measuring and walking to see, like, does that match up to what he knows or what he has seen as a floor plan. And then he says to one of these people, like, does anybody have any notepad, like, and a pen? And he draws up the plan of the building, including the rooms they have already crossed sort of crossing those out, seeing how many are left, and trying to make a decision of which doors it makes sense to open, so that they can end up at a possible exit to the building. Now that Ariso is saving the day, he's leading them through these doors zigzag within like 5-10 seconds. And then they come to what he thought would be the last room. And as he enters, he looks straight ahead, and he's like, there's no door here! There's no door in the front. The doors are on the side. But this is where I thought the door would be. He's playing the whole building plan in his head. Him standing in front of that building, knowing that there is a building just next to it, without any gaps between them. And then he's like, I have missed out on something. But what is it? I can't figure it out. Meanwhile, the other three are at the die door, ready to push it open. He says, wait, 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 Chota? You were recording the video in the first room. Can you give it to me? There's like 20 seconds on the clock. He's manically replaying that video. And the video records the first girl going to that room where she was just about to die. But there is a split second where he sees that that room isn't a square like all of the other rooms. And if that room isn't a square according to his calculations, according to the building plan... Well, then, there is another room that is sort of like a rectangular, and the door is live. So, all of them hurdle in the last three seconds through that door, and as that last room they're leaving behind goes up in flames, Chota catches some of that fire. So, they manage to extinguish it, but it seems like he has been hurt, and there was a burn left behind. This last room only had one door to leave, so they walk through it and it seems to have been a fire exit. So they're just going down the stairs. Chota is injured, he is limping behind them. And all of their phones have a notification. Congratulations, you got a free day visa. And they're like, what do you mean free day visa? Like is this a different country? Like what is the concept there? But then they see this old man sort of approaching them, saying that he is about to drop out of the game. And what that meant was that that red laser shot right through his skull and he dropped dead in front of them. And when this man drops dead, they realize two things. That the number on the cards corresponds with the visa days they have been allowed to stay. And also that this means that they need to go and play a second game. They need to go and play another game within those three days in order to survive. So the episode two starts and we meet a girl called Usagi, who seems to be a mountain climber of sorts. We meet her in the past, one of the flashbacks, her climbing a mountain and her dad waiting for her on the top, encouraging her to get on top of it. And then we see her in a present day, on top of a building that we can also only assume that she found a way to climb rather than just like walk up the stairs. And she's overlooking Tokyo as it is in this apocalyptic world. And we realize that she is going to become one of the players. Then we go back to Arisu and his friends and the business girl, and they're just sitting inside of some mall, kind of like a display kitchen in a furniture store, eating their lunch. They have just been shopping, and they realize there is an odd passing of time. Like, a couple of them experimented with cars, because Chota is the IT guy. We figure out that all of them know things about technology, because the model guy and Arisu are gamers, and then Chota is kind of, like, into IT. And because of that, they obviously try to start up one of the cars to see if they can get out of there, but they couldn't. And in that car that they try to start up, they see this bag of vegetables. And all of them have already been rotten. So they start a conversation with the business girl about time. Like, how long has she spent there? Because it seemed like it has been a passage of time. For everything that they saw fresh in the shop, and for those vegetables in a car to already be rotten. She booked it. the Business Girl says that for her, she remembers it being three days ago. But for the three friends, the world, as they knew it, disappeared only yesterday. As they're eating, they're chatting about their previous lives. And we find a bit about the businesswoman. Well, she says she was just going to head into a meeting, and then everybody seems to have disappeared. And she's been there ever since, for about three days. So now she just extended this visa with this last game. But then we see in a flashback that she was actually sleeping with her boss in order to secure this promotion at work. And then she got into the shower. Once she had gotten out, put on this shirt and the skirt and has gotten out. She's kind of like doing that, hello, hello, anybody here? And she looks out of the window and the city is completely empty soon as she's reminiscing on this, she tries to change the topic and sort of talk about who do they think is behind this. And here, Chota gives us an insight that he was checking the other devices in the shop. So, all devices like radios still seem to be working, but then the newer stuff like phones, anything with a chip in it, doesn't. But that doesn't explain even if Whoever is behind this is using like an EMP device to wipe out the communications for the whole city Then, how are the game makers' devices still working? In that conversation, we find out that they all have different opinions as to who might be behind this. So, Arisu is convinced, based on the red lasers that seem to be killing anybody who just gives up, wants to leave, or actually loses within the game... That that seems like governmental work or somebody behind a powerful IT company that just decided to play with innocent citizens and then kill them, just from the way that they end up killed. But Chota isn't convinced. We find out that he's extremely religious. He thinks that this is all God's work, that if he was just to pray, this burn in itself will go away. So he lies down to rest. And while he does that, the business girl is just lost. She's pondering on things, you know, some shit is going on through her head. You're like, oh god, you strike me as dodge. She's gonna manipulate somebody yet again. What is she going to do next? This girl is going on my last nerve. While that's happening, the other two best friends, Arisu and the model guy, are speculating about what to do. It seems like already another day has passed, so they know this visa expires in two days. And they decide, well, Chota needs to still rest, but the two of us could practice. As if, like, these games don't kill people. They're like, let us just practice. There will be plenty of other games to play. We are gamers. Let us join another game. So... They leave Shibuke and Chota to rest at home, well, in a furniture store, and they just go out to find another game to play. I'm aware the picture behind me is blurry. That's Usagi, the mountain climber, by the way. But it is also kind of the best picture out there on the internet to describe the outline of this building. Think like Peckham. Think South London, blocks of flats. So, this is a building, there are the rooms there, this is where they're playing the game, and then there are two other buildings on each side of this one. Cool. (laughs) You could have put that on the screen, just like actually turned around to describe it. Anyways, Arisu and the model guy are there, and here, yet again, they take their smartphones and see another playing card. The difficulty this time is Five of Spades. And there is a man there who actually understands the meaning behind these cards. The suits on the cards define the type of game they're about to play. So if you were to see clubs, it would mean a team battle. Diamonds mean wits, so you have to use your brains to get through it. Spades is something physical, so that's the one they're about to play. And hearts, well, it is the worst category, isn't it? Because that's the one that forces you to play with other players' emotions. They're given 20 minutes on the clock to play the game of Tag. One of the players, they don't know which one, is going to become the chaser. And another thing they don't know is that this player is also going to have a horse mask on them and is going to start shooting at them. The goal is to make it into a flat that is considered safe zone before the time runs out. Otherwise, there is a bomb that is going to explode and kill anybody who doesn't make it there. Before the game is about to start, we go back to see what Trota and the business girl are up to. And the business girl is taking care of him and he was just... I just did not like this woman because I was like, she's manipulating every single situation. Because then in the next game, she's gonna be like, Oh, Trota, we are lovers. You love me, right? You're gonna give up your life for me. So don't trust her, Chota." But Trota is a religious cunt, okay? We find out that his mom ran this sex cult although every cult is a sex cult, right? And that he is deeply religious, but also deeply scarred and traumatized, because he basically grew up in a cult. And as he's giving it all, telling this sob story to the businesswoman, she's just like, you know what? We We are both the same, right? We need to take care of one another. And then she gets him to lie down and puts herself on top of him and starts undressing, and they do it, even though it doesn't really seem consensual whatsoever. He doesn't seem to be into it. He seems to be reminiscing about his days in the cult. And you're wondering why is she doing it? Like, is it because she just misses sex? Apparently, she didn't have it for about three days. Is she just trying to manipulate him so that she can use him as a pawn in the next game? Is it both? Because are they gonna make it out alive? If you were to die tomorrow, wouldn't you have sex today? That is my conclusion to this. Mic drop. Okay, we go back to the game to see what Arisu and the other kids are doing. Here again, a bunch of other characters get introduced and you have to wonder who is going to live versus survive. Somebody who was introduced that was interesting. One of them was Usagi, the mountain girl. So those skills will be useful for her. And another person will be a silver-haired guy. It just seemed like he immediately went up the stairs to a strategic position. More as an observation point. Like in the corner by the last flat. And you're there like wondering, does he know more than we do? Is he possibly one of the game makers? Like, what the hell does he know? Why is he here strategically looking at everybody running for their lives? As at first they're just pairing up with one another, calmly opening these doors, going up and down this building, they realize by peeking behind one of the stairs, The shooter has a horse mask on, and they start firing shots right at those people. So, Arisu and Karube are lagging it. And as they're running, running, they find themselves in this area. So, as you remember, I told you there are, like, two buildings on each side of this one, with the corridors, like this one. So, they see a horse, the shooter, in this corridor. And they obviously dunk down to hide from them. But then, when they figure out the shooter didn't fire shots at them. So that means that because of the mask, they have a limited vision. So the two of them immediately scream so everybody hears them. The shooter has a limited vision. Let's alert each other about his whereabouts. So just scream if you see the horse and we are gonna know where they are so that we can all work together to find this safe zone. As they're following this protocol now, the silver hair man is just again still in their corner just watching be like, huh, ah, good idea, let me just keep watching this. Arisu and Karube are just running around trying to help other people out if they find themselves paralyzed with fear. And this is when they encounter two men that seem like they might belong to a gang or some sort of association because Ariso, again, the observant one, spots tags. Kind of like, you know, the bracelets they give you, I don't know, in prison or like if you attend a student fair. (laughs) Where have you been? Or like a student event, like a club night. I don't know, I'm old, okay? So, he just puts tags on these two people, and they seem kind of like in the wife beater shirts, like ready to fight whoever is coming at them with their horse mask. And this other guy, who seems to be more of a submissive, hands his leader the fire extinguisher. And this leader has already calculated the shooter's height, weight... They're thinking there might be a police officer or an ex-police officer just by the way they're shooting. And reason is there like, uh-huh, okay. But Karube seems to have the same thought in mind that the other two men they just encounter do. That maybe the confrontation is the way to win this game because of his limited field of vision, maybe they should just find a way to attack him, whether it is from behind or from, like, underneath, where he couldn't really see them, and then beat this person to death, and then run to the safe place, which others can alert them to. The friends decide to split up. Arisu is going to use his brains to find where this safe zone is, and then alert everybody else. And in the meantime, Karuba is going to join these two other men to fight this horse figure. But then, just as Karuba and these two men encounter this horse player, and they manage to beat him to the pulp, while also injuring themselves in the process, Arisu is dunking down behind that wall yet again, because... All of the shots seem to have been fired towards this one door. And now you realize there has never been only one shooter, but two of them. But also Arisu realizes where the safe zone is. And he legs it there. And this is where he encounters the silver-haired man again, who is like, oh, you figured it out. And you're like, mate, mate, you were the inside man. We know it. If you know it, just admit it had the chilliest game ever while everybody's sweating. So they finally open the door, and as they do, this horse figure again follows them. So a couple of things ensue in this room. The model guy, Karuben, the wife-beater man come to find a safe place, and everybody seems to be fighting this remaining tagger. And at that moment, the climber girl just gets into the safe zone through a window she jumps at the masked man, somebody throws a taser her way, she tases him, while Arisu is actually looking at the walls, and there are two buttons that need to be pressed on the opposite side of the walls. So he's telling the climber girl, they're like, three more seconds, we need to do it, and they press those two buttons, and the game is over. So technically, there was only one survivor, that person would also be dead, unless they figured out somehow how to press two buttons on the opposite side of the walls. So, who is still alive? Both of the best friends, and they made some new friends, it seems. And then there is a voice on the speaker saying, The answer is in our hands. Return to the beach. Episode 3 starts with all of them going back to their new home, that furniture store, and nobody really knows where this beach is, what that clue means. And then the next day, well, they're thinking about their friends, Chota and the business girl, because their visa is about to expire. The other two extended theirs for the next couple of days. It technically could chill, but of course they don't. They all are searching to find their next game. Before they head into the next game, you can really see there is some friction between all of them now, because the visas are expiring for Chota and the business girl. Arisu is struggling with the death of the second tagger, because he blames himself for it and really thinks that didn't need to happen. They could have all just passed the game, because the tagger was also one of the players, it wasn't the mastermind, it wasn't a game maker. And also, Karube had to make some sort of a detour to go and collect an engagement ring from his place of work. So, we figure out that maybe there's a fiancé. Did he propose? Probably not, because, well, the engagement ring is inside of a box in his office. Where is she? We still don't know the backstory of that. Because of that, everybody's pissed off at him because the time is running out and they still have no clue where the next game is. So, as they're aimlessly roaming the city, they see another arrow inviting them into a game, into a botanical garden. Do I personally think it is extremely dumb that all of them went in there? considering that two of them at least know what the cards mean. And they are yet to see the one with the hearts on it, which would mean that they're playing with people's emotions. Yes, like, just let the other two go. I don't care about the businesswoman. And Chota is religious. He believes God will save him anyway. So let him prove that. But no, that's not what happens. And they're inside of this botanical garden. And the next game we are soon to learn is the game of hide and seek. In this game, there are three lambs and one wolf, so it's only the four of them playing. They are told to put these special goggles on, and as they do, a collar gets tightened around their neck. And we learn that as soon as the time runs out, the three lambs are going to die and be blown up violently into the air. And we hear the AI voice saying, Chota, you are the wolf and he's just there confused everybody's shocked as to what is happening but arisu has figured it out it isn't about the wolf chasing the lambs it is about the lambs chasing the wolf why Because as soon as they make the eye contact with those special goggles that they have on, they pass on the role of the wolf to that person. So, as Chota looks up directly into the businesswoman, she is now the wolf and she, of course, likes it. She's the only one who really wants to stay alive. The other three are hit with the realization that either all three of them are going to die, or one of them will die and lose two of their best friends. And Chota is injured. He just... I might as well just sit here and wait for my death, but the model dude and Narisu decide to chase after the business girl Kanube runs after her. He eventually finds her and starts Fighting with her, but this woman found a machete somewhere. So she further just injures him and is really desperate to survive. You see some next level fight or flight mode. Meanwhile, Arisu also found some tools and he is trying to remove that collar and the goggles off of him. So he's screaming at all of them: if we just work together and stop freaking out, this is still a game. We are going to find out how to get out of it. So Again, I think if they all work together, they would probably be able to use those tools to, like, remove the collar of each other. But instead, they don't. The other guy, Chota, is praying to God to save him. Eventually, the business girl finds him. She starts attacking him to eliminate him out of the game as well. And as that is happening now, she had handed over the wolf to Karube. And Karube has accidentally seen Arisu in this wilderness, in this botanical garden, and then had run away, because all of his friends seem to have decided that Arisu is the only one worth saving. I'm not sure if that's how everybody perceived it, but it seemed like all of them were just having flashbacks from this point on. Like, Karube remembers his fiancé, he is still clinging on to that engagement ring, he remembers how they met in a bar, And while that is happening, all three of them are reminiscing on their friendship. We see Arisu just sobbing in the corner, remembering how his father always preferred the other sibling and called him a loser. And then how the other two friends were always there, sort of hanging out in the house, saving him and getting him to get out on the streets and just play games with them. Finally, while still shaking and crying in the corner, Arisu gets up and he's like, where are you guys? Let me find you. One of you deserves to leave and to be handed over this wolf. But all of them are silent. They're all hiding away from him. Well, Karube is wounded and is dying on its own. And the other two know that it won't be one of them surviving. So... The business girl and Chota are hugging each other, and just as Arisu finds his other friend Karube, well, the time is up and all three collars explode, leaving Arisu as the only one alive. This explosion bit was quite violent, by the way, just in case you plan to watch this show and aren't really into the graphic display of heads being blown up. Just... Just an FYI, but in the next episode, we pick up with Arisu being desperate, just lying down in the street in the rain. We have no idea how long he has been there. We just have an idea that he has lost the will to live. While he is lying there, in the rain, miserable, Usagi passes him by. She seems to have gone shopping, and at first she just passes him by, and then she turns around and is like, do I save his ass? I mean, I might as well. It seems like we're all about to die anyways. So she brings him to wherever she's staying. It looks very much so like Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles environment, like some sewage canal. So I was like, okay, where is this girl? She gives him soup, she gives him food, she has also just killed a rabbit, so she cooks that for both of them and just seems to be taking care of him. Here we get a couple more flashbacks of Usagi and her relationship with her dad, because at the beginning of the series we were led to believe that that relationship was strong, that her and her dad had no issues. But then we see this scene of Usagi just leaving the house, after reading this newspaper article about a missing mountaineer. And this man was last known to have taken an expedition with her father, and her father was speculated not to have used oxygen masks during this expedition. So the rumors in the papers were that either this man who disappeared committed suicide, or that he went up the mountain without the oxygen mask. And, well, Usagi suspects that her father is responsible for his death, or at least is hiding the knowledge of his whereabouts. Eventually, Arisu manages to get enough foods, enough fluids into Arisu, and to get him to get enough sleep, and to convince him that, well, instead of just waiting for his visa to expire, he might as well try his luck and join yet another game. The next game is within this underground car park, and you see them all hopping onto this heavily graffitied bus. They pick up their smartphones, and they meet another group of people. And it seems like one of them plans to, well, sacrifice himself. He seems to be injured, so he can't do whatever this game was to require. But Arisu, of course, thinking about anybody else but himself, is like, you know what, this isn't fair. We're going to try to finish the game and still save you. And then on their phones, they see the Four of Clubs card, and the game is called Distance. So the Four of Clubs indicates that it is a team battle, and then they see the number zero. So Arisu and everybody immediately thinks, okay, so whoever makes it the longest distance, whoever runs... The longest probably wins. And the phone is just there to be used as a tracker to measure the mileage. So all of them start lagging it. They're running past the cars. They have tried to see if the bus will start, but no cars on the way seem to have any petrol in them. As they're running, they pass by this water station, but Usagi suggests maybe the water isn't drinkable, who knows what they put in it, let us all share this small bottle of water that one of them has brought. Then they continue running, and then the scene out of Hunger Games pops up, because there is a Black Panther on a car. Just like with the Mats in Hunger Games, somebody has to be sacrificed here, because somebody has to be eaten alive when a panther is introduced into the plot. So, a character that was introduced on the bus gets dragged by a panther, and we assume eaten alive, but this allows the rest of them to continue. Now, on the back of one of the trucks, Arisu sees this motorcycle. And he gets an idea. He doesn't want anybody left behind. So, he also doesn't really think this through, because as far as I remember, they don't have petrol anywhere. And this motorcycle also needs petrol. Unless he actually planned to get to the bus put that guy onto the motorcycle, and then drag him along towards the end again, because it wouldn't surprise me. It's a suicide mission, but he does it. So he separates himself from the field girl and the other guy who keep running towards the goal, and he is running and pushing this motorcycle in the opposite direction, towards the bus. Both of them make it to their locations, and as Ugasu is at the goal, well... Water starts bursting through the wall, and they start running back towards the bus at a full speed. And at the last moment, you're not really sure how they're running faster than the water is trickling at them, but she manages to jump onto the bus, and Arisu seems to be able to save her. Once they wake up from this shock on this bus that has now flipped over, They get out of it, and they realize that that graffiti on the bus on the opposite side of it actually said goal. And that that was the goal all along. The goal was just to stay at zero. You're telling me, Arisu, the guy who literally measured the building by the measurements of a car that he spotted in front of a building, didn't think to go around the bus to see that this is the goal. How can you have great observation skills in one game that you don't even know it's a game, but when you know it's a game, you don't have the observation skills. Rent over. I just found it extremely dumb. I still love it found it extremely dumb. That, and the fact that, according to their phones, I think they ran 12 kilometers in, again, ridiculous amount of time. So, they ran 12 kilometers, and then this girl managed to leg it back all 12 kilometers while the water was literally right behind her. This episode made zero sense, so we move on. After they make it out of this bus in the underground car park, they know they have a couple of days left on their visas. So Sagi teaches him how to hunt. And meanwhile, as they're moving through the city, Arisu is spying on others. And he notices that a lot of people seem to have those locker tags, that when he was still observant in the tag game, he spotted on those two men that were in the game. And he thinks, okay, so there must be some sort of affiliation there. Maybe they will be able to lead us to the beach. And by following some of those people, they realize that they have the access to cars. Cars with actual petrol in them. So as those people with tags start driving, Well, the two of them start running after them. Of course, logically. Why did you expect anything else? So they follow them all the way to the beach. But here, just as they're taking their surroundings in, those men have, of course, noticed that there are two people running after them at the speed of their own cars. So they overpower them, chloroform them. We don't know how they made them unconscious. But the two of them wake up tied up to this chair in front of... The most Charles Manson-looking person in this freaking show. Like, that's what he's gonna be called from now on, okay? The Manson dude. I think in the show they call him the Hatter. As in the Mad Hatter, the Alice in Wonderland reference. As in the Mad Hatter, the Alice in Wonderland reference. Let me change the background, because this is when it gets messed up. While they're sitting tied to their chairs, the Manson dude reveals this wall of cards. And we see most of them have been crossed out. So, it leads you to believe that those were all of the games that everybody has played over time. He tells them that on the beach, they're also going to be playing the games, and that the playing cards belong to the beach, so they will be taken away once the player returns. Now, there is a ranking system, of course, and there is a point to the wall. Once all of the cards are won, then only one person will be allowed to return to the previous world. And then all of the cards must be won again for another person to be allowed to return. The rules of the beach are that everybody needs to be wearing swimsuits in order for them to prevent somebody hiding weapons, that all of the cards belong to the beach, and will be returned to the madman here, so that they can be crossed off the wall, and also deaf to all traitors, because this is Japanese Charles Manson, after all. Apart from those rules, they're allowed to mingle in that mansion, they're allowed to go by the pool, which is where the party seems to be going on the whole day. And of course, they stand out. They don't feel comfortable just going next to the pool, partying up the whole day, while knowing that the games are to be played at nightfall, and that... Most of these people will die by the end of the day. As they are by the pool, taking in the surroundings, we, of course, figure out that the silver-haired dude is there, indeed. And he always seems to be having a shadow, this woman named Quina, who always has a cigarette in her mouth. But we know that she has this cigarette in her mouth, because she is attempting to quit smoking. As soon as the night falls, they are split up. They go into different sections of this mansion, and they participate in whatever game they're invited to. Here we see Arisu is split up from Usagi. She's in a different game, and we see that a card is four of diamonds. It is a light bulb game, and they need to use their wits. They need to use their brains. So they know it's going to be some sort of puzzle. The game goes like this. There are three switches, A, B, and C only one of them will switch on the light bulb. They only have one chance to pull that lever down with the door open. But if the door is closed, they can pull down the switch as many times as they want. Now you're thinking, well, just place the person in the room so they can scream to the people outside if the light bulb is on. But of course, no. If anybody was to be stuck inside of the room, the door wouldn't shut, meaning the light bulb wouldn't switch on. And the catch is that they are, yet again, playing against time. And there is water gushing into this room, and the electric currents at a certain level. So if the water was to reach the electric currents, all of them are going to be electrocuted. They shoot their shot, they pull one of the levers down with the door open, and it wasn't it. The light bulb didn't switch on. Now, also, somebody was a dumbass who was like, what does this button do touching the electric current, of course, getting electrocuted on the spot? So now the panic sets in yet again. And Arisu is thinking like, what is it? What could it be? What is the solution? And as the water is rising, the door won't close automatically. So Arisu is thinking, the rule of the game is, I can play with these switches as much as I want, only when the door is shut. So he gets them to close the door. He's like, close it, hurry up, close the door before the water rises into the level. He pulls down the lever A, makes them open the door and touch the light bulb. And the light bulb was warm, so the answer was A. The water stops gushing out, the game is over. And they go back to the beach, and Ariso finds out that Usagi also survived. But we don't have the time to find out much about her game, because soon the militants, the people in the wife-beater tank tops, approach them. And they seem to have taken an interest in Usagi. They seem to want her to follow them into the room. But luckily, the Hatter is also out there, and he prevents that from happening. And then this episode ends with the Hatter, with Charles Manson dude, surrounding himself with the two girls who are both, like, caressing his stomach. Why is that such a stereotype? Even in the East? Anyways, he's drinking whiskey and whatever, and he's just sitting with these two women in front of Arisu, who is awkwardly sitting there by himself with a glass of whiskey, like, why am I here? Why was I summoned here? And the hatter responds, every tragedy has a hero, every tragedy needs a hero. You might be the hero of this story. And you wonder where this is going, but then you find out there was a board meeting before that. And during this board meeting, they discuss how most of the games have now been played, but there is really that 10 of hearts that is left. Where could it be? So, the hatter offers to join a game, and while he's gone from the mansion, the militants are to impose their control. So, we pick up in episode 6 with the silver-haired dude and the cigarette girl. These two have figured out, as soon as the Charles Manson here is gone, the militants are going to take over this mansion. Like, what is stopping them? So, they approach Arisu and ask him, does he want to change the status quo? Because if they do, if he helps them overthrow the Mad Hatter over here, then the Silver Hair person is going to run for the cards. And as soon as they have the full deck of 52 cards all of them can finally make the run for it. So not only one person can return to the normality, but all of the survivors can. Before the silver hair here manages to make that happen, they're all back in the room with the cards, but they're back because the hatter has been found dead. And now everybody suspects one of the militants, the main one called the Goonie, but they really can't say anything. Not just that, they're made to vote for the next leader. And all of the militants are there with the guns. So, they're literally threatening them as they're about to raise their hands. Like, who are you gonna vote for? So, Aguni is chosen as the new leader, because everybody else has been threatened in that room. Now, whoever the next leader was, they get a code to a safe where the cards are held. And this code is handed over to Aguni in this envelope that is sealed. So, he opens it, sees it for himself. And he goes to give his inauguration speech. It's all this freaking procedure for no reason. But now, Silverhair goes to Arisu and says, Listen, I was in that board meeting. Just from his looks, I know what the code is. I haven't seen it inside of the envelope, but I know what the code is. So, help me out, break into the room, just break into the safe, take the cards out, and we can free everybody else. Silverhair tells him he knows what the code is, because Nirugi didn't even pay much attention to what was within the envelope. He paid more attention to the actual seal. So this is like the candle wax, and then it looked like it had been stamped. And it looked like it had been stamped with the word boss. So silver hair is, what if it's not boss? What if it's eight, zero, five, five the four-digit code to the safe. And as Silverhair is on the lookout during this speech, Arisu inputs that code and he realizes it's a wrong code. And as he turns around, he's faced by all of the militants. Because it seemed like the Silverhair here is a bit of a traitor. And he gets into this room where they tie him up to the chair again, beat the shit out of him. While Silverhair seems to actually know what the code is, because he used his deduction skills, but it wasn't the seal. It was the fact that Nirugi seemed to have opened the envelope and then looked up towards a painting. Inside the envelope, on the piece of paper, was a picture of a deer. We know that because the cigarette girl is keeping guard, while the silver hair has removed the painting of the deer and found the safe, in which he found a full deck of cards. So they are just about to escape. While in the other room, Arisu has been beaten, and all the militants have left to finally, without his defense, without Heter defending her, get to the girl, get to Usagi. But just as one of them is on top of her, just as the silver hair here is about to escape with all of the cards, red lasers start popping up in different spots in this mansion. A new game seems to be about to begin, and you guessed it, it is the Ten of Hearts. All of the players join in the lobby, and they find a girl called Momoka that is lying on her back, and it seems like there is a knife going right through her heart. The game they're about to play is Witch Hunt. All of them need to find the right killer, the actual killer of Momoka, before the time runs out. They have only two hours to find a witch, and there's already a fire set up outside where Niragi is burning everybody that he deems useless, that doesn't want to participate, that isn't really following the rules, or just that has been shot by one of his militants. So as that is happening, people inside are asking each other, where were you? I haven't seen you. You have actually disappeared for a couple of hours. We find out that Momoka actually came there with a friend. So they're immediately attacking her. While that is happening, this woman called Anne, who isn't super prevalent in the story until this moment, pulls out the knife out of Momoka's heart, and she goes into one of the rooms to inspect it underneath the light. In the basement, somebody seems to have started a fire in order to filter out anybody hiding, to get into the lobby, to get outside, to be eventually burned. Now, with the prospect of fire, and finally with the militants leaving her behind, Usagi is looking desperately for Arisu. And she manages to find him inside of this room, get the tapes off of him, and tell him about the game, about what is happening inside. So, again, he is really hard at using his brains, using his wits to solve yet another game, because it's not like he has solved all of them, and without him, this whole show wouldn't have existed. Silver hair, meanwhile, is like, okay, I'm not running, you know, I really want to survive. Like, that was my whole thing behind that betrayal, anyways. So, yet again, he is, like, in a corner observing from, like, a good viewpoint. He chooses that bird's eye carefully. But his friend, the cigarette girl, is with Anne, who is trying to go into the room to examine that piece of evidence. But somebody caught up with them one of the guys that they call the last boss, one of the militants. So, Kuina, the cigarette girl, hushes and forward, and she says she's going to distract them. And then she leads this last boss onto a fight that seems to be happening inside one of the indoor bars. Inside of a dance floor, to be exact. So, the two of them are fighting, and we see the flashbacks of both of their lives. And we realize that cigarette girl, Kuina, is actually trans that she was born as a boy, and that eventually she changed her gender. And we see a flashback of her after her operation, walking into the hospital where her mother was sick, and her mother telling her how she was beautiful. Meanwhile, we see the last boss here having flashbacks of his life and how he always wanted to commit to a cause and how he's this perfect militant. But he makes a mistake during this flight where he smashes some glass. So our girl here, Kuina, picks it up with her toes, clenches that freaking glass and then smashes that leg and that glass right into this guy's neck. And of course, he ends up dead. So she returns to see if Anne had figured this out. Like, I don't know how she expected Anne to figure out whose fingerprints they were, but that wasn't the actual point, as we are about to find out. Because Arisu, over there in the room, in a completely different location, figured out who the witch was. And everybody is in the lobby again. How, do you wonder, has he figured it out? Well, it is the Ten of Hearts, meaning that everything about this game is playing with people's emotions. All of the games seem to be the opposite. If you think about the game of Hide and Seek, they were actually to find the wolf. If you think about the game where they were running the gauntlet, they needed to just stay in the same place, because that was the goal. And if you think about this game, What if it's not about who the witch is, rather focusing on who the game master is? The last episode of the season starts with the footage of Momoka, the girl that was killed, and her friend, the one that entered Borderland with her. And we see them recording it on their phone. Again, we see the same scene from the beginning. The streets that are completely empty, it just seemed like they just landed into their parallel universe. The footage follows them walking, and then it cuts with Momoka going into this subway tunnel. And then we are pulled back into the present moment, when Arisu makes it to that lobby. And he comes face to face with Aguni, the guy that has been burning everybody, and is looking all tough, still in his wife-beater shirt. And he tells him you are a witch. And Aguni says, yes, 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 I am. And I don't care. Like, that is the point of the game. But still, doesn't mean that you win. And then Arisu says, I actually know that you aren't a witch. You just feel guilty because it's not Momoka that you killed. It is your friend, Heter. We go into a flashback and we find out that Aguni and Mad Hatter were friends for a long time. It seems like they both ended up in Borderland as friends, and then one of them became a leader and was completely possessed with power. So, we actually find out that on the night, when Mad Hatter was supposed to leave the place and go play one last game, that Aguni was there, and that he literally begged him to end this. He was saying, what is the point? And again, Mad Hatter, as a complete Charles Manson cult leader, said, well, sometimes you need to make difficult decisions. People are happy on the beach. People want to continue living like this. And that is when Aguni shot him. You see that Aguni doesn't plan to stop this, even when Arisu says, I know who the witch is. The witch is the dead girl. It's Momoka. She actually stabbed herself through the heart. And at that moment, Anne appears and she says she has examined the fingerprints on the knife and they did look like they were in a reverse, as if somebody's stabbing themselves. But Aguni is incensed and you think that he runs the shots. Until Momoka's friend, the girl that came into the place with her, says that she can make him stop because she is the dealer of the game. And at that moment, the laser touches her head and she drops dead. Arisa is now even more desperately trying to convince Saguni to stop this whole game. And just as you think that he might cave in, even though you kind of believe that he isn't the one running the shots here, well, Niragi, he pops back in, engulfed in fire. And Iragi over here still has the gun on him, and as he is about to try to shoot Arisu, Aguni throws his body in between the two of them and throws himself onto the guy that is engulfed in fire. And that leads to both of them falling into their death. While everybody is engaged, observing the chaos that ensued, Silverhair is smart enough to go and pick up the last card, the Ten of Hearts off the Table. And he just disappears. And we pick up with Arisu and Usagi the next morning, looking into the footage that was found on Momoka's phone. We see the rest of that footage shown at the beginning of the episode. They go down the subway and they open up the door that seems to be where the dealers would operate from. So, after watching that footage, they think that Momoka and her friend were maybe responsible for setting up most of the games. Well, one of them, at least, was a dealer. So, was the other one forced to be one? It seemed like they worked together to join these different games, sometimes working as taggers or just making sure that the game is disrupted, that enough people ended up dying. With this information and nothing preventing them from doing so, Usagi and Arisu had to find that exact subway to see where this dealer's den is. And just as they find this same room that we are to believe it's a command room, it's this dealer's den, and they walk in, they find all of the game makers leaning over their keyboards dead. As the lights go off, Silverhair and his friend Kuina pop in and they say they found it, because in the game of tag, in one of the taggers' pockets, there was a drawing. And they figured out that it's actually a map of where this place was. And as they join them, all of the lights in the room go on. And the girl pops up on the screen. Her name is Mira and she is talking in the squeakiest voice ever replaying the scenes of everybody that has died during the game as if they needed a freaking reminder she says she has a present for them because there's still so many games to be played and tomorrow at noon they need to gather yet again to play another game and at noon the very next day just as fireworks are playing all around tokyo these giant cards are showing up across the sky the stage is set And the future of the new games is very much uncertain. The end, or at least the season one, because here I believe there will be a season two. Final thoughts. Personally, I thought this was both the most genius and also the dumbest show out there. Okay, hear me out, hear me out. So, I think it's very obvious within the description of the show when I start losing myself a bit. When the plot becomes like, okay, but really? Like, this is it? This is the plot? Like, you lost me in certain parts. I love how niche these shows are getting. I love the shows about people playing games, these dystopian shows. But the main flaw that I see in Alice in Borderland is that the lack of the point of why they're all there that we don't have in Squid Game because it's all about capitalism and them wanting to actually earn the money in order to be able to live better lives. Here, that lack of a background, that lack of the knowledge about these people's lives, why they're there in the first place, is this just an actual apocalypse? Is it happening everywhere in the world? doesn't let you develop these characters in the right way. Doesn't lead to this character development. I didn't cry over anybody dying in Alice in Borderland. I didn't feel connected to any of these characters for me to be like, yay, season two. I'm like, okay, I'd watch it again, because the game parts of it is genius. But then the rest of it, the actual plot, Not so much. Not as much as I wanted it to be. And then there are straight up things that just made no sense. I mean, I'm not saying Squid Game had plots which made no sense. And when you replayed it, you were like, oh, this was a major clue. But still, I love the niche though. I love where this niche in particular, because the closest Americans ever got to it, is the Escape Room movie. One and then... Tournament of Champions. That's literally the closest they have gotten to anything like this. So still, whatever countries in Asia are doing is going to be like 100 times better. Also, I mean, the cinematography, the actual direction, everything about it is just epic. But I have to ask you, if you are a fan of shows like this, Do you also get the gist after watching Squid Game and then Alice in Borderland in the same week that we are the VIPs, that we are the dealers, the game makers, because we technically consume that content and that all of those people on screens are just the puppets that are there for us to consume and to play with and to get invested in. For us just to get hooked and then watch the show again and again as it comes for season two, season three. Are the producers trying to tell us something more than that this is just a show? Is it ever just a show? Okay, I'm gonna leave now. And uh, yeah, you go ahead and watch Alice in Borderland. If for nothing else, purely for the games genius, mastery. I can only bow to you. All right. Bye, packets. Bye. See you next week. Bye.